today in this chapter 12, we come to the wicked man, and we see his failure. He cannot prosper. He cannot get ahead. He will never succeed in his wickedness. We are told here, a, a man of wicked devices will God condemn. Now, I want us to focus on the devices. You'll notice that in this verse 2. It speaks of the devices of a wicked man. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church. This is Pastor Ian Colliher. Today we're looking at deadly devices found in Proverbs chapter 12. And we have our Reformation choir to sing, Glory Be to God the Father. We'll also be looking at a word in Mark's Gospel, seeking to be fishers of men, winning the lost for the Lord Jesus. And I trust that today's program will be an inspiration and encouragement to your heart. These are times when we each need to be encouraged in the Lord. And that's my prayer that today's program will be a word just suited for your heart, leading you to personal faith and confidence in the work of the Lord Jesus as your Redeemer. Stay tuned now as we go to our pulpit ministry to let the Bible speak. Did you ever get asked, where were you when something happened? This week we have had one of those events, the eclipse that ran across North America. And uh, I met someone, actually the, the organizer of our daycare downstairs during the week. She was there on location on Monday right down in Oregon and told me about it. And for two minutes, standing in darkness, looking away out there was light. Looking away that direction was light. But standing in darkness... Others reported that it was not chilly, cold, but cooling down almost instantly as the sun was blocked out. What an event. It is a sign. It's a sign of God's great design. Isn't it a marvelous thing that those who study these things, astronomers, with all their charts and their history and their records, can pinpoint not only this one, but the next one that's going to happen in 2024, I think, uh, to the day, to the hour. What a God who created this world. So where were you when the eclipse of 2017 happened? I have another question for you. Where were you when the attack on New York took place in 2011? I can remember where I was. I can remember hearing that for the first time being announced, that some jet had flown right into one of those towers, and then another, and then the Pentagon, and the other one that was forced to crash. What an event. What a date that sticks in the mind. One of the officers, a pilot that was on board the aircraft that was in 
intended for the White House or the Pentagon and crashed into a field. His wife was asked later to speak on the event. And she had to say that there is going to be a great day of judgment. One who was involved in the planning of that had been given just a, an earthly sentence. Can anyone ever be satisfied with earthly justice? But there is a judgment day, and the wicked will be condemned. I say all of that because here in Proverbs 12, we read about the condemnation of the wicked man. It says in this text, Proverbs 12, verse 2, a good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a, a man of wicked devices will he condemn. Now, this chapter is about the wicked man. I've highlighted the statements of the wicked, and I've got one in verse 2, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 10, verse 12, verse 13, and again in verse 26, all about the wicked. Last week, it was about the good man, the man who had received the righteous gift of God and sought to walk with God. Today, in this chapter 12, we come to the wicked man, and we see his failure. He cannot prosper. He cannot get ahead. He will never succeed in his wickedness. We are told here, a, a man of wicked devices will God condemn. Now, I want us to focus on the devices. You'll notice that in this verse 2. It speaks of the devices of a wicked man. Those methods, those inventions of the wicked man to try and beat the system, to try and promote his own wicked life, and yet try to escape those things. Now, I'm going to use this text as my launching pad. I'm not going to really expound all the references here in this chapter to the wicked man and what God says about him. They are very clear. They are almost self-evident for you to read and grasp. And this is what God says about the wicked man. But I want to branch out into four devices that the wicked use seeking to prosper in their wickedness. The first one is hypocrisy. The hypocrite puts up a front of pretense, and it is to act the part of a Christian while his heart is in love with the way of the world. The biblical word hypocrite really comes from stage actor, a person who can mimic, can put on the voice, the tone, the dress, joined with the actions, and 
put on a good act. Now, the hypocrite's religion is just that. It is an act. It is an attempt to deceive others that he is better than he really is. And such will join the church. Such will seek to have the well done of men. In fact, the applause of men is exceedingly important to the hypocrite because then he thinks that he is succeeding. And such will want to make a good impression by their outward life and by performance. And it is a performance. They talk the talk, but they don't always walk the walk. They usually lower the standards to some uh, degree and some even to the lowest possible degree. Don't you judge me. Uh, I'm not wanting to be judged. And, of course, the person you meet who, uh, who objects uh, to any sense of judgment, you know that this is a veneer. This is uh, just on the other side of the curtain on the stage, putting on a performance. But don't look inside. Don't see me when I am not putting on the act. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his typical theological way, dealt with hypocrites. Although he didn't call them hypocrites, he talked about those who compared themselves with themselves. They made themselves their own yardstick. They measured everything else by their own particular standard. And of course, it became deceptive. It's like the tailor I read about who used his walking stick as the measure for measuring cloth. Now, at first, of course, the walking stick was at least very close to proper measurement, but as he used it over the years and the cane began to wear and it got shorter and shorter. And so he just kept using the same stick as a yardstick, as a measure for the cloth. And the customer in reality was paying the same money or as, as inflation would go, maybe more money for less and less cloth. And those who measure themselves by themselves never get a true measurement, never understand what is God's requirement, and of course, end up deceiving themselves. Now, when you measure your own life, does it meet the full standard of perfection? And in fact, what is the stick? What is the measurement you've got to put your life against to compare with perfection? Well, there's only one, of course, who lived the true perfect life on earth, and that is our Lord Jesus. He was no hypocrite. In fact, in his ministry, he was very belligerent against hypocrites. Uh, they were the Pharisees, the religious people of the day. They were those who scrutinized everyone else's life to the minutest measurement. And yet their own lives were widely off the mark. Indeed, the Lord used the analogy uh, that they were trying to pick the moat out of someone else's eye, and all the while there was a beam 
in their own eye. That's hypocritical. And the Lord said, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And he really went down the line. Sometime you want to read Matthew 23, you will count eight woes to scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for all manner of wrong measurement. If the Lord Jesus was here today, and he is, of course, by his grace, by his spirit, by his promised presence, in a gracious manner to his people, he measures us. He measures our words with our actions. He measures us with his commandments. He measures us with true righteous measurement. The very fact that Jesus could call out the hypocrites proves that he was not a hypocrite. Indeed, it's an interesting study that in all of the life of Christ recorded in the Gospels and every reference to him, not once was he called a hypocrite. Now, he was called many things. Uh, they rejected him as God in the flesh. He claimed that he and his father were one. He made many bold statements which others rejected. But not once did someone accuse him of hypocrisy, putting on an act. Those who heard his words said, No man spake as this man. Those who witnessed his miracles said, No man can do these miracles except he be from God. There was the ring, the streak of genuineness through every aspect of Jesus' life. He was the upright, perfect man. How could he do that? Because he was no hypocrite. And he exposes the hypocrisy of men. Now, I have to be careful here because I don't want anyone to think that unless you're perfect, you're not a Christian. Unless you're perfect, you're not going to heaven. Unless you are sinless, that you have no hope of eternal life. The gospel is for sinners, broken sinners, self-confessing failures. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The Lord Jesus is this enigma. He is the perfect standard exposing hypocrisy. But because he is perfect, he is the one who earned and bestows righteous perfection to those who believe in him. Those who do believe in him and put their trust in him and rejoice and indeed boast, I'm now saved. I'm a Christian. I am now going to heaven. They're not hypocrites. They're not hypocrites because they are not boasting in their own goodness. They're not boasting in their own attainments. Indeed, they come confessing, I'm a failure. I, I sin. I am, fall short of the mark. 
but I have received the perfect gift of Christ's life that saves my soul and makes me right for heaven. The world, of course, despises this attitude of the Christian who boldly and openly says with great self-confidence, I am now saved. I'm going to heaven. And of course, they say, who does he think he is? I know him. Think of all the wicked things that he's done. And it's all too true. We are but sinners. Sinners saved by grace. But we look to a perfect Savior who lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. Now, we therefore preach the gospel to the wicked sinners, those who fall short of the mark, who are anything but perfect. And if you tell me today, that's me, I'm a failure. I've broken God's law. I have for too long swept my sin under the carpet. I've tried to get away with things. Oh, today, that you might stop putting on an act. Come clean. Confess your sin. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And all oh, the relief, the burden that falls off when you come as a sinner to Jesus and you confess that you are worthless and he is worthy of your trust and your faith. So that's the first device, hypocrisy. Number two is hiding your sin. This is another device that is commonly tried by the wicked going into denial and thereby hiding it. And of course, this is as old as Adam and Eve in the garden. They tried to cover up their nakedness. They ran into the, the trees. They got away from the presence of the Lord. And Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And that has been fallen man's attitude to a holy God ever since. Always hiding always covering up by false pretenses. For Adam and Eve, it was ridiculous fig leaves, leaves of some kind. And that has been the history of man. In the book of Joshua, you read about a man called Achan, who stole the accursed thing. Now, it's called the accursed thing because when God promised to give to the Israelites the city of Jericho, the word was, take nothing for yourselves, only for the promotion of the Israelite worship. And they could give it to those things. But nobody could take the gold, the silver, the precious things to make themselves personally rich, or it would become a curse to them an accursed thing. Well, as the victory came and the walls of Jericho fell flat and they conquered the city and they took the spoil, one man got his eyes on a wedge of gold and a Babylonish garment. Babylonish in Jericho? Oh, yes, there was intertrading. There was intermingling. And this beautiful, exotic garment caught his eye. What did he do with it? 
Well, he knew the ban on taking the spoil, and so he took it and hid it with his stuff in the tent. And all the while, God's curse was now upon the people because of this man's sin that he had hidden up. It became exposed when they went out against the little town of Ai. Ai was so small in comparison to Jericho, and so they sent but a small little army to try and defeat it. But indeed, Israel came back in defeat. And when Joshua and others sought to discover the reason for the defeat, it was exposed that there was one who had taken the accursed thing. And so they went searching, and they brought tribe by tribe and made them pass in front of Joshua and others, and then family by family, until the family of Achan was taken, and he was found out. There was search made of his tent, and there was the accursed thing. And for that, Achan and his family were stoned to death. They came under judgment for hiding the accursed thing. Proverbs, not this chapter, but 28 says, He that covereth the sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Another moment in Mark's Gospel. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 1.17, Come ye after me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. Now, every Christian is called to make Christ their all. He must be our leader, and we must be his followers. Now, wonderfully, the Lord is a perfect leader. By his life and his death, God equipped the Lord Jesus to make him the captain of their salvation, and that through his own sufferings. So you will never go wrong 
by following the Lord Jesus. He is the one who is perfect. He's also powerful. And in this chapter of Mark, we see his authority to preach and his power over devils. We confess that we have no power, and we submit to the will of the Lord for his kingdom work. By placing ourselves in the Lord's hands and at his disposal, Christ will make us useful fishers of men. This submission requires that we constantly look unto Jesus and seek his indwelling power in our lives. Are you doing that today? Are you seeking the help and the power of the Lord? Then let us pray. Let us earnestly seek the Lord that God will fill us with power to serve him and to be witnesses for him. Now, there are two things to do in submission. George Mueller said that two things are required of Christians to know the Lord's power for service. They are a clean conscience and to live in the Word. By a clear conscience, we live so not to offend the Spirit of the Lord. By keeping in the Lord's Word, we look to Him for guidance and wisdom. Then we are listening to His voice. How important. And that will lead us to enjoy the power, the indwelling, the unction of the Holy Ghost. And so that brings us to the submission that this life requires. It demands an end to the self-life. Surely this is the reason for the sickliness of the Christian church today. We must also ask if it be so in our own church. How much Christian work is being done in the spirit, or is it being done in the flesh, in the power of self? How much is mere human energy, as there is so little waiting on God and so little dependence upon the work and ministry of the Holy Ghost? We are each called to a life of total dedication to the Lord. We must consecrate ourselves, our stuff of life, and our very reputations at the call of the Lord, to come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. In his work, Absolute Surrender, Andrew Murray wrote, Then, as you bow before him, just accept God's teaching that in your flesh there dwelleth no good thing, and that nothing will help you except another life which must come in. You must deny self once for all, Denying self must every moment be the power of your life, and then Christ will come in and take possession of you. O oh, happy soul who learns the way of submission, the way of the cross, the way of waiting upon the Lord and depending upon his power. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so, let us be fishers of men. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.